It's good to be here with y'all. If you guys will take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 144. Psalm 144, we're going to read the word of the Lord together. Uh, it's a blessing to be with God's people. Um, let me encourage you, uh, I don't know what your practice is here, but let's all stand as we read the word. Can we do that this morning? Maybe just this week. This week. This is the word of the Lord, and let me remind us that God gives us his word because he loves us. Psalm 144. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him or the son of man that you think of him. Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightnings and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from many waters from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-string harp I will play to you, who gives victory to kings, who rescues David, your servant, from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of the palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, let's pray together. Father, we uh, thank you for your scriptures. Uh, we ask for you to open our, our minds and our hearts uh, we commit them to you and we pray that you would have your way and that you would send Holy Spirit to enlighten this word to us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Uh, raise your hand if you have pets, if you own pets. Okay. We have some pet people here. We've been a no pet family at my house. Okay. Until COVID hit. And uh, our youngest daughter, Addison, is 14 and she's been after us since she could talk wanting pets. And so finally we broke down and we got her a guinea pig named uh, Macy. And after several weeks, we came to realize that guinea pigs do best with others. Um, so we got another guinea pig. Thankfully, we got one of the same gender. We, we were smart that way. Um, uh, but this other guinea pig's name is Teddy, since she looks like a teddy bear. And um, these two guinea pigs have brought great joy to our home. 
But um, one observation, okay, guinea pigs are hyper aware of their surroundings. Like they, they're, they're prey animals. So uh, in their natural world, like in South America, uh, they have people who like to eat them and animals that like to eat them, right? So they have quick reflexes and they love to take shelter, right? They, they love to run to their uh, shelters or they call them hidey houses, right? And they feel safe when they have a covering over them or when they have a place to run. So I wanna ask you this question. How are your spiritual reflexes? Like, what are they like? Um, how aware are you of your surroundings? And where do you go? Where do you run when you're overwhelmed? What do you do? Our, our spiritual reflexes uh, have become dull in many ways because of the world in which we live, because of the environment. You know, we live in a world that says, uh, be happy, uh, find safety, find pleasure. And many of us have grown comfortable. Many of us have grown numb. And uh, this psalm reminds us that we are at war. And many of us have grown apathetic to the spiritual battle that we are in. And Christians are engaged in a spiritual war against Satan and his forces. And 2 Corinthians 10 tells us also that Christians are engaged in a war against worldly thinking. And God has not left us as his people defenseless in this battle. He fights for us as a warrior king. And Jesus has already won this victory through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And in the Old Testament, God trained the Israelites in warfare to enable them to protect themselves. And right here in verse 1, it says, O Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. And because Christians cannot stand on their own against superhuman powers, we must rely on the strength of the Lord's own might, which he supplies to us through prayer. And one of the great gifts God gives us is prayer. And so I want to ask you this morning, what does your prayer life look like? What does it look like? Sometimes we don't know what to pray. We don't know how to pray. And I, I love that in, in our liturgy, in our worship service this morning, that, that you actually read the word and you pray the word. That's, that's something that God gives us as, as a way to fight this battle. Other times we wonder, I don't know if you've ever thought this, are my prayers actually getting through? Like, is God actually hearing what I'm saying? And we have this incredible access to the throne of our God who fights for us. And so what does it look like to make God our refuge in our prayers? What does it look like to take refuge in God through our prayers? And this morning, I want you to see something really practical we can make God our refuge by praying the scriptures themselves. And we're going to use Psalm 144 to teach us to do that. And it's an amazing psalm, and it teaches us several things about prayer. And the first thing I want us to see is this. Our prayers must recognize who God is in the midst of battle. Our prayers must recognize who God is in the midst of battle. So Martin Luther used to say that true religion is found in personal pronouns. And what he meant 
is that it's only when we're able to speak of God as our God and as Jesus as our Savior that Christianity becomes more than mere ideas and it becomes truly real to us. And so Psalm 144 opens with praise to the Lord who has the ability to give victory in battle. And notice how personal David is here in verse 1. It says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock. Notice the personal pronouns. He is my steadfast love, my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge. See, God is his protector. God is the one whom David takes refuge in from danger. Look at verse 2. God is also the one who's committed to him. God is a place where David can run to when his enemies are chasing him, when they're pursuing him. God is a fortress. God is a haven. God is a high tower. God is also a shield. What do shields do? It deflects the flaming arrows of the enemy, and it makes sure that they don't hit him. God is the one in whom he has taken shelter, like a bird sheltering under its mother's wings, like, like a guinea pig going to its hidey house, right? Or like a small nation relying on a, the power of a larger one. David recognizes who God is by giving him praise as he blesses his name. And praise is an important part of our prayer life. So what does praise look like in your prayer life? Do you take time to praise God for his blessings in your life? As you see the Lord work, as you see him answer prayer, what is your response? Psalm 144 is a lot like Psalm 18. And in Psalm 18, David is explaining how he was in a desperate place of trouble. But God had delivered him from it. David was in distress, but the Lord reached down and the Lord delivered him. And he recognized what the Lord has done and he praised him for that. But here in Psalm 144, David's enemies are a present threat. The trouble he's facing isn't behind him. He can recall the ways God's delivered him in the past. But the trouble he's facing is now in front of him, right? He doesn't know the answers. And it's amazing how David uses the actual words from Psalm 18 in this psalm today in, a, in his prayer. And notice how David trusts in the Lord for his present and his future circumstances. He recognizes, he knows who the Lord is. God is a very present help in troubled times. He is my rock, my redeemer. He is my shield. And as he is as he faces the adversity before him, he takes refuge in God through his prayers, even though he doesn't know the results. He casts his cares on the Lord, and we must do the same. And what strikes David as he reflects on the majesty and the power of God is the astonishing fact that this majestic, amazing God actually stoops down to help someone as insignificant as himself. Look at verses three and four. O Lord, what is man that you regard him or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a what? Breath. His days are like a passing or a fleeting shadow. And those first two lines are verbatim out of Psalm 8, 4. 
But in Psalm 8, what follows is this surprise at his place in the created order, that God has crowned him with glory and honor and made him a ruler over the work of God's hands. But here, his surprise is that God should be a help and a stronghold to someone as insignificant as himself. This is David, right, who's a king. He's saying, I'm insignificant. But he confesses that human life is like a breath. And this is the same word that appears throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, that, that word vapor, right? His days are like a passing shadow. And these words should humble us as we read them. And together these words provide a rationale for this confession in verses 1 and 2. Because human beings are little more than a breath or a passing shadow, we must rely fully on someone outside of us to be our fortress and our stronghold. When we make other things besides the Lord as our fortress, what we're doing is we're building our foundation on shifting sand. And this psalm insists that life with God does not mean merely believing on paper various doctrines about who God is, while at the same time channeling all of our hopes and dreams into the things of this world. Because nothing in this vacillating world can be a final refuge for us. We need to look outside of ourselves to the Lord. And our only safety is to channel our deepest trust into God himself to make him our refuge in our stronghold in our shield. So let me ask you this. When you're going through it, when you have that pit in your stomach, when life is hard and difficult, when you're in a season like that, where do you turn? To whom do you run? Do you bring God your cares and your concerns? Do you just honestly cry out to him? When you're utterly aware of your weakness, and you recognize that you have no strength, you have no ability, do you see God as the all-powerful one who can help? You see, some of us need to be reminded this morning about who our God is. God is great and God is good. And you've seen him work, you beheld his power, but we're quick to forget, right? We're prone to wander. And maybe some of us have been spiritually coasting. Like, You've gone on bike rides, you know, and, and you've, you've ridden up some big hills and, and you get to that downhill portion and what do you want to do? You just want to relax, right? You want to coast. Uh, maybe we've grown too self-sufficient and self-reliant and we must lean fully into who he is, our divine king, our warrior king. God is our rock and our refuge. And so um, our prayers must recognize who God is in the midst of the battle. We must turn to him and give him our praise and rely fully upon him. So secondly, our prayers must call out to the Lord in the midst of our trouble, right? Our prayers call out to him in trouble. And so one part of prayer is called petition, right? Where we ask God. It's appealing, it's crying out to God to come and to work. And David has seen God rescue and deliver him from past troubles. And now David has, he now needs God to do what he's done in the past today. And so he prays some of the exact words from Psalm 8 and from Psalm 18, but he applies them to the troubles that are now before him. 
David asked God to come down and to deliver him from his present threat. And he asked God in verse five, look at verse five, bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. He asked God to split apart the sky, to part your heavens, Lord, and come down. And in verse five, he uses language that, it, language, it comes right out of God's descent onto Mount Sinai when he gave the law to Moses, when the mountains smoked as a result of God's coming down. So just picture that in your mind. You see smoke coming up. It says something's happening there, right? And the smoking is an indication that God is really here, that he's active. You can, you can see that God is at work. And David wants God to be present in his day. He wants to see him at work. And so he calls out, he says, God, let me see you working in this situation. And then in verse six, it touches on God's intervention in the war against the Canaanites in Joshua 10, where God sent hail accompanied by lightning against the Jews' enemies. And together these images, they signal that not only has God made himself present with his people, but he's also come as a divine warrior to defend them. And in his trouble, he needs the Lord to protect and to defend him. And then in verse seven, he calls on the Lord, Lord, stretch out your hands from on high. You see, Psalm 144 is a royal psalm asking for God to bring victory to the reigning heir of David, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And in these verses, David is reflecting on the manifestations of God's presence and God's power in the past. And he's asking for that same power to be demonstrated in God's deliverance from his present danger. So David is declaring that the God of Moses and Joshua and Judges is his God too. And he's standing in this long line of succession of God's people. And so do we if we've been joined together to God's covenant people through the work of Jesus Christ. The God of Moses and Joshua and David is our God too. He is the same today as he ever was. And may we be able to call upon him as our rock, as our deliverer. May we be able to cry out to him in the midst of our difficulties and our troubles. And there's something really basic for us to learn here about prayer and one simple thing is how bold and direct David is in his petitions. You know, sometimes we're afraid to even ask, right? We have this incredible access to God, but, but we're not as bold and direct as David is. But he comes right out and he says, Lord, I need you. I need you. Lord, come down. God, stretch out your hands. Come down and be present and active in my troublesome health need. Lord, come down and be present in this family crisis that, that I can't even tell others about because it's too messy. Lord, come down and meet my financial need. Lord, show up in these broken relationships. Flash forth your lightnings and scatter them. Send your arrows this way and that way. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. God, help me to see that you're here. Uh, in my trouble, that you're at work accomplishing your purposes. Lord, rescue and deliver me from the many waters. Lord, bring order out of this chaos in my life. 
Whenever God's people are under assault, they do well to remind themselves of all the things our loving God has done for us in the past, right? But we're so quick to forget, right? The Israelites got rescued, you know, uh, they, they crossed the Red Sea and a couple of days later they're complaining, right? They've already forgotten how the Lord has delivered them. And we can rightfully ask for God to act in ways that even our world would describe as the rendering of the heavens, a bolt of lightning, a rescue from the sea of troubles. You see, and one of the ways that God has equipped us to fight our spiritual battles is to use the word of God in our prayers. So, do you actually pray the scriptures? Like, it, it, it's a very practical thing to do in your own quiet times is to open the word of God and to pray, to read the word and to pray the promises of God. So David Pellison wrote a book called Speaking the Truth in Love. And in this book, he shows how another psalm, Psalm 119, can be used to make pleas for deliverance from painful troubles. And the psalmist says this, save me, help me, Rescue me, plead my cause, look on my affliction. When will you comfort me? Like, he's asking questions of, of God. When will you judge those who persecute me? Don't let the arrogant oppress me. It's time for the Lord to act. So the loving kindness of God invites these kinds of pleas. So whether it's poverty, grief, sickness, betrayal, God cares, and God invites the needy to cry out, to call upon his name. Jonathan Edwards says this about prayer. He says, that which God abundantly makes the subject of his promises, God's people should abundantly make the subject of their prayers. What should our response be to the fact that this is our God who has come to rescue and deliver David's response is found in verse 9. Look there. I will sing a new song to you, O God. He sings, right? I will sing a new song to you. Upon a ten-string harp I will play, who gives victory to kings. Rescue and deliver me. And this reference to a new song occurs only seven times in the Old Testament. But what's amazing is the theme of a new song and the metaphor of the divine warrior appear in every single one of these texts. And so this new song must always be sung in light of Israel's confession of God as the divine heavenly warrior. It is God's role, it is God's victory that even makes our singing possible. So if David were alive today, if he were aware of our hymns, he might be singing some Isaac Watts, okay? Our God, our help in ages past our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast in our eternal home. So the meaning associated with this new song in the Old Testament extends into several New Testament texts, but through the filter of Jesus Christ and his victory. And according to Revelation chapter five, a new song is to be sung because of the one who is sitting on the throne and the lamb who was slain for us. And through Jesus's victory, a just and a new world will be experienced, one in which people from every tribe and language and people and nation will become a kingdom and priest to our God. 
So our prayers must recognize who God is in the midst of the battle. We must turn to him. We must give him our praise and rely fully upon him. Secondly, our prayers must also call out to the Lord in the midst of trouble. And God invites you and I to make pleas of deliverance in the midst of our difficulties. And thirdly and finally, our prayers result in an outpouring of God's covenant blessing. Look at verse 12 and notice here <coughs> how the psalm shifts, right? It shifts from the first person singular, I and me, to the first person plural language, we and us. And here David not only prays for himself as he did before, but he's interceding for the people. He's asking God to bless the Israelites with all of the covenant blessings that he promised to the nation in Deuteronomy 28. And these blessings begin with the family in its rising generation as its foundation. So look at verse 12 with me. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown. May our sons, right? The young olive shoots, may they become sturdy, well-established oak trees that are properly fed, that are watered at the time that they need it when they're growing, right? Not just our sons. What's the next verse? May our daughters be like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. Have you ever been to a palace? Have you ever like traveled to Europe and seen what palaces look like? May they flourish and be what God intended them to be. Our daughters unite families as cornerstones join walls together. And at the same time, they're beautiful, right? And they adorn them as polished stones garnish the structures into which they are built. So do you pray God's covenant blessings for the young men and women of this church? Do you pray God's blessings for your own children and for your grandchildren and for those that are in your community? Do you pray for their protection? Do you pray for their spiritual nourishment? Do you pray for their families? We make a vow as a congregation at every covenant baptism, okay? To undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of their children. One of the ways that we fulfill that vow is by praying for God to richly bless these children. That's a big part of that responsibility. And we should pray that God will richly, that they will richly experience the Lord's ability to save and to protect and to bless them. And then David continues to unselfishly pray, asking that the Lord may lavish on them and increase their fields. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep and our flocks bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. Remember the world they lived in, right? They lived in the agrarian world. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May the Lord protect them from invasion and exile. Look at this next one. May there be no cry of distress in their streets. Oh, how we need prayers like that to be prayed today, right? I mean, there, there was a shooting right down uh, the street that our street comes on, maybe a couple miles down. There was a shooting last night praying prayers like that. Do you pray for your community, for the Lord to eliminate cries of distress in our streets, to make right what is wrong? 
Now love these two closing beatitudes in verse 15. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose lives reflect what's described in verses 12 through 14. Life is a gift. And as the Lord blesses you, do you recognize that? And do you recognize where those blessings actually come from? They come from the Lord. So do you recognize that? But note that David does not point to the faithfulness of his people as the reason that the Lord should show such favor to Israel. He anticipates the work of David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who even now stands before the Father on our behalf, interceding for our needs. And the Father will grant what the Son asks because Jesus has been perfectly faithful in our place and for our benefit. But the greatest blessing of all is found in the last part of verse 15. Look there. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. The greatest blessing of all is to have God as your God, right? As Martin Luther said, to be able to use him as your personal pronoun, to have God as my God. And how different this is from the world's way of thinking. Because most people want all of the blessings of these last verses, but they think they can have them without the Lord. It's only the Lord can offer what truly satisfies, namely himself. So Spurgeon wrote a sermon long ago called Pictures of Happiness. And in it, he says that the most pleasant pleasures of this world are the first to expire as we advance especially as we grow older. And that which once contented us becomes vanity of vanities in our account. But no one outgrows his God. No one outgrows his God. Look at the last verse with me and let's say it out loud. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess Uh, that we often run to other things to be our fortress. God, help us to turn to you. Help us to trust you and to give you our praise. Lord, teach us how to pray. And thank you for giving us your scriptures that we we can pray your word and we can learn how to pray. God, be our rock and our fortress. We bring to you our cares and our concerns today. Rescue and deliver us from the many waters. Lord, Your word says, blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. I pray that you would be our Lord and our rock and our redeemer. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.